I'm going to jump right in because we don't have a lot of time um, and get right back in where we left off yesterday. Amen? Um, but before we do, let's just have a word of prayer. Father God, I do ask now that you pour out upon this place your Holy Spirit in double and triple portion. Lord, as we share the last part of this testimony, I am asking in a special way, Lord, that the lessons, the life lessons, the spiritual lessons that are captured here, Lord, would be fully um, understood and fully digested, Father. For Lord, this really isn't about me. It's about what you do for your people as you place us through trial. So, Father God, be with us now as we finish this. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So where we left off yesterday was on the third stanza, depression and loneliness. Let me, for those who may not have been here or didn't hear yesterday's message, one, you should go back and listen to it. But number two, let me catch you up. So at this point, I, have, I had to resign my position as the director and the health officer for the health department of the city of Pasadena, California. It was a public disgrace. Uh, my name was dragged through the mud. I didn't tell you guys this, but the newspaper would write all kinds of terrible things about me. Um, I remember they would even lie. One of the things you will learn that when the enemy goes to persecute you, he will lie on you because the devil is a liar. The Bible says, and he is the father of lies. The newspaper said things like I said that the prophet Muhammad was a Satanist, which I never said and couldn't say because the, the religion of Satanism didn't even exist until the 1960s. Um, and the prophet Muhammad lived in the 600s. It was, it was a horrible way to do it. The Catholic League in New York, one of the most po powerful institutions for the Catholic Church in the United States, actually put into the newspaper that um, I should be fired from my job. It was very public on the news at night. I was discussed in the news feeds under people's email. I was discussed. It was very challenging and difficult. And to and to add to all of that, I lost not only my job and the job I was going to get. I told you the story about what happened in Georgia. I lost my family. I lost the support of the, of the immediate organized church. And I was honestly left alone. And let me tell you something. In America, we have an epidemic of loneliness. Did you all know that? It is one of the major reasons for disease in the United States of America. Jamaicans seem far more friendly and far more cohesive. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but, but in America, there's a whole epidemic of loneliness. And I sank into this. I remember, and I want to give this to you, regardless of whether or not you're an Adventist today, I want you to hear this part of the story clearly. As my life was spiraling out of control, I'd lost a job I really loved. Someone from one of the NGOs, the non-governmental agencies that I worked with, um, that did um, a community gardening and farming, um, called me and said, Dr. Walsh, we really enjoyed working with you, and we don't want you to go because it's, we've made so much progress with community gardens. He said, we have come up with a way for you to keep your job in Pasadena. He said, here's what we'll do. We will call a media day at one of the churches, and this was a very liberal church with an LGBTQ supportive stance and clubs and stuff in the city of Pasadena, right across from City Hall, actually. He said, we'll have a media day there. We'll call the television stations. We'll call the newspapers and the radio stations, and we will have you sit in front of the media. And if you will simply backtrack on some of what you believe, they said, we will get you your job back. The enemy 
let me listen to me, young people. The devil began to whisper in my ear all the advantages that that government job gave me, all the privilege, all the popularity. He began to whisper into my ear all the advantages I got with that job. And as I was on the phone with this man, the spirit of the living God began to come upon me. And my response was, I would rather shovel dung in the streets of Los Angeles than to turn my back on the living God. See, church, let me tell you something. The reason I am, I have to, at the end of the day, be sold out to Jesus Christ, the reason I'm committed to him is because I told you my mother was a single mother. And I know all of you think that if you come to America, life is easy. Let me tell you, that is not the truth. You go to America, you better roll up your sleeves and work or you will starve. And my mother, one time, I remember there were many times as a single mother, she would run out of money before she ran out of month. And I remember once we were sitting in the family room in our house and she was praying to God because she had some unexpected expense and there was not enough money now for her to buy groceries. And we, the three of us prayed, she, myself, and my younger brother, we called on the name of God for supply. And as we were praying, the doorbell rang. And when we went and looked to answer the door, there were grocery bags sitting on the porch of our house. I can't deny my God because my God has been good to me. Let me tell you something. It, it, was, it was a tough thing. I, we ended on this slide yesterday with Elijah and Elijah wishing that God would take his life. The Elijah was in a state of depression. He, he, he said, listen, I can't take it anymore. One of the mistakes that Elijah makes, if you look at the last part of that, that text, is that Elijah makes the mistake of comparing himself with other people. You see what he says at the very end there? He says, for I am not better than my father's. Let me tell you something, many of us as Christians will fail because we're too busy comparing ourselves to other people. That is a mistake. When you compare yourself to other people, you either become self-righteous as you look at those who are committing sins you're not involved with, or you become self-defeated uh, de because you're comparing yourself to folk you think have it all together. Let me tell you, there's only one person you ought to compare yourself to, only one person you should look to, and that is Christ Jesus. I told you that one of the most painful parts was what the church did. Let me show you. A little bit of, of what God showed me in dealing with that part of the story. In dealing with that part of the story, Psalm 55 and verse 12 says this, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. David says this, he says, But it was you, a man mine equal, mine guide, and mine acquaintance. Watch it. We're going to go deep on this thing now. I hope you guys are ready for this one because some of you have been through some tough stuff. God has shown me that some of you have been through some stuff. Let me give you what the, what, 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 what the Lord wants you to have today. This is from the Spirit of Prophecy. She says, Troublous times are before us. In many instances, friends will become alienated. Without cause, men will become our enemies. Watch this, young people. The motives of the people of God will be misinterpreted not only by the world, but by their brethren. Oh, don't miss this. Watch this. Watch this. The Lord's servants will be put in hard places. A mountain will be made of a molehill to justify men in pursuing a selfish, unrighteous course. 
Look at this. The work that men have done faithfully will be disparaged and underrated because apparent prosperity does not attend their efforts. Oh, watch this though. It gets deeper. She says, by misinterpretation, these men will be clothed in dark vestments of dishonesty because circumstances beyond their control made their work perplexing. They will be pointed to as men that cannot be trusted, and this will be done by members of the church. I'll show you, God showed me this when I was going through this. God's, look at this, but here's the word. Here's, here's the lesson for you. Here it is. God's servants must arm themselves with the mind of Christ. They must not expect to escape insult and judgment and misjudgment. They will be called enthusiasts and fanatics, but let them not become discouraged. God's hands are on the wheel of his providence, guiding his work to the glory of his name. If you are a servant of God, you must expect that you're going to be misjudged. You must expect that you will not escape insult. Watch this. She says, when the religion of Christ is most held in contempt, when his law is most despised, then should our zeal be the warmest and our courage and firmness the most unflinching to stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. I hope you're getting this. I hope you're preparing for the test that is to come. The time is coming when the commandments of God will be completely discarded. Can you see it happening in the world right now? They are calling wrong right and right wrong. They have taken good and called it evil and evil and called it good. And you young people at Northern Caribbean University have been called to stand for God in a time of great difficulty. You have not been brought here by accident. You're not here by chance. You are here because God is lifting up an army to finish the work, to give the loud cry so that this work can finish, so we can go home. Are you able to stand? Can you stay? You know, that one of the things the Old Testament prophet says is, um, if that, the, 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 he says, if you cannot keep up with the footmen, how will you run with the horses? And look at this statement, one of my favorite statements in all of the spirit of prophecy. This encouraged me to stand strong is found right here. She says, at this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their what? From their treason. I hope young people, you're getting this. When the world and even church members are not kind to you, the answer is not to leave the church, the answer is to seek Jesus Christ. In fact, their treason should inspire our loyalty. One brother called me and he said, listen, Dr. Walsh, I saw what the church said in the paper. I see what they did to you. He said, because they did that, he said, Pastor, he said, listen, I'm not going to pay my tithe anymore. I said, brother, you know you ain't paid nobody no tithe in 20 years. Don't you try and blame me to try an excuse for you not to return a faithful tithe. Somebody said, because of what they did to you, I'm leaving the church. I said, listen, you done had one foot in the world the whole time. Don't try and use me as an excuse for you to leave the church. 
Right now is not the time to be fickle. We are not, and let me tell you something. We don't even, I don't even take time to try and disparage the church because this is God's remnant church. Watch this. Look at what the spirit of prophecy says. She says that, that God has a church upon the earth who are his chosen people, who keep his commandments. He is leading not stray offshoots, not one here and one there, but a people. No, he's not leading the shepherd's rods. Let me make that clear. No, he's not leading some uh, offshoot over here. He has but one church who keep his commandments. And if you are at this institution and you don't understand the importance of the Ten Commandments, let me tell you, read a book called A Trip into the Supernatural by a brother named Roger Minot, a, a French-Canadian who came out of demon worship and became uh, ultimately became an Adventist. The reason he knew how to escape demon worship is that when he worshipped the demons at the, at the mansion in Montreal where he worshipped them, the demon priest told him that there was only one group of people who would survive the two great lies of Satan. You know what the two great lies of Satan are? One is that when you die, you continue to live. A misunderstanding of the doctrine of the state of the dead. The dead cannot speak to you. There is no duppy coming to look for you of any of your dead relatives. Those are demons, not, not people. Number one. The second one is that they would reject the Sabbath of the fourth commandment and keep the first day. One man in the back of the demon worship raised his hand, you gotta read the book, and said, what about the Adventists? They don't believe either one of those things. And the demon priest said, um, uh, the demon priest said, well, I forgot about the Adventists because there's so few of them. He said, but because they keep the seventh day Sabbath, they cannot be deceived. Who keep his commandments. Now watch this. She says, there is no need to doubt, to be fearful that the work will not succeed. God is at the, at the head of the work, and he will set everything in order. If matters need adjusting at the head of the work, she says, God will attend to that and right every wrong. Let us have faith that God is going to carry the noble ship which bears the people of God safely to what? To port. You don't have to worry. God showed me you don't need to worry about who's in leadership. You don't have to worry about who did you wrong. You stay faithful and everything will work out. And you know what God did? One of my friends immediately said to me, what are you going to do? My friend Derek Rose, he's, he's also of Jamaican lineage, uh, born in Brooklyn, uh, raised in Brooklyn. And Derek turned to me and he, Derek said, uh, E, what you going to do? You don't have a job. But, you know, coming from Jamaican parentage, I always keep at least three jobs. Did you know that I always, always have at least three jobs? And I had a job at the urgent care and I was pastoring. So I had jobs, but my main job was gone. And I said to him, I've always wanted to be a missionary. That's what I told him. And I wanted to go to the island of Guam and serve. They called me before, but I was always so busy with my career that I didn't go. Let me tell you something, young people. Within 30 minutes of us having that conversation on his couch in Yucaipa, California, Within 30 minutes, I got an email on my cell phone, Dr. Walsh, this is so-and-so. I am the physician recruiter for the Guam Seventh-day Adventist Clinic. We are in need of physicians and would love to have you come. So I want you to get this. After I lost both of those jobs, God gave me a job I needed. And within a several weeks, I was on a plane to Guam. Guam is a U.S. protectorate just like Puerto Rico. 
Um, there's a military Navy base, U.S., and a military Air Force base. I remember when we were coming in to land, and on the whole flight over, let me say this, on the whole flight to Guam, I was talking to God. It's hours. I mean, I had to fly all the way to Japan and then to Guam. And I was talking to God, and I said, Lord, I'm so upset. I said, Lord, I will never preach again. I will never, ever preach again in my life. I'm so upset with you, Lord. When we go to land, it's a little tiny island. It's only about 32 miles long by 8 miles wide. So when the plane turned the whole, uh, and to go to the land, I don't see any light, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I just see the darkness of the ocean. And I started saying, Lord, help us. Because I didn't see where in the world we were going to land. But then we turned again, and you see this beautiful island light up. The temperature and the climate is exactly like Jamaica. It grows all the same, many of the same fruits. And when we went to go and land, we landed, and I was praising God. And I got off of, of, of the plane still convinced that I was going to quit preaching for good. When Dr. Robinson, that medical director for the clinic, met me there at 2-something in the morning with one of the staff from the clinic, he came to me and he said, Dr. Walsh, we've been listening to your sermons on Audioverse. And he shook my hand. He said, we've got you scheduled to preach Wednesday night. Let me show you what, what it looked like. This is the Guam Seventh-day Adventist Clinic. Some of you here are going to go and serve there. Let me tell you. Some of you nursing students, they need nurses. You will have a wonderful time here. Some of you who are dental hygiene, dentists. These, they, they need you. There are general conference scholarships that you can go there, and they will actually pay for you to get more education, your kids will go to Adventist school. They have all kind of benefit. It is an amazing experience. There are only eight churches on the whole island. And before it was all over, I preached at every church on the island. I did camp meeting in Saipan, a whole other island where, that is an American territory where the Adventist church has a dental clinic. And I am here to tell you that if it wasn't for the trial, I would not have had one of the best years of my life in service. And I have learned that when you are in trial and difficulty, service is one of the best medicines you can do. The name of the island, by the Chamorro people who are indigenous to the island, the name of the island in Chamorro means the rock. God literally left me on the, in, in the cleft of the rock. Away from all my trials. Let me tell you something. I was jet skiing and swimming and hiking and playing basketball every day. It was a wonderful, wonderful time that I had there. And I want to show you what the spirit of prophecy says on this. She says, Christ is coming and Christ is to be revealed in you if you will only allow his image to be revealed in you. Fall on the rock and be broken. What did they do to Moses? They took that atom of humanity, the heavenly intelligences, and put him in the cleft of the rock and the hand of God over the rock. She says, now what you want is to be in the cleft of the rock. You want to break in pieces before God. Your pride, your self, your folly, your wickedness, your dishonesty, your corruption of heart, your licentiousness, your impurity. You want to fall on the rock. And then if the superscription of the divine play, plays upon you, the love of Christ may abide with you and Jesus be in your heart. I want you to get that I had to fall on the rock and be broken. One night I was having worship in my apartment. And I'm telling you, I left a $1 million townhouse I was living in in Pasadena, California. I was renting it, but I was living in it. And when I got to Guam and they gave me my apartment, there was water stain in the ceiling from where the water dripped. 
it was old and dingy and musty. The furniture had a little bit of a foul odor to it. It had been there for a while. I had gone from the heights and the pinnacles, and I'd been brought so low. And I remember one Friday night when I was having my worship, the missionaries were having worship, and I decided to stay and worship alone. And I went to pray to God in agony over what I had lost. I kept focusing on what had been taken from me. And as I began to pray, God began to show me something powerful. He said, Dr. Walsh, Eric, do you remember that test you didn't think you were going to pass? I passed it for you. He said, do you remember when the tuition couldn't be paid? I paid it for you. Do you remember when you were taking your board exams and you didn't think you'd make it? I passed your board exams for you. You remember when you were worried about getting the job that you're crying about now? I got that job for you. And I remember when I opened my mouth to pray, the only thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. That was my prayer the whole night. And over that night, I was broken on the rock. That's when God began to be in a, put me in a position to begin to build me back up. Before I left California to go to Guam, I'd, I'd started getting contacted by all of the religious liberty um, legal organizations in the United States. They'd all seen these things on the news and everything, and they started to reach out to me to ask me um, if, I, if they could defend me on the case against the state of Georgia. Because I'd gotten a severance from the city of Pasadena, I could not sue the city of Pasadena. The state of Georgia had reneged on my job, and, and they had done it based on my religious beliefs. In the United States, based on the First Amendment of the Constitution, you cannot do that to a citizen of the United States. You can't do it. You cannot make religion a high um, a, a test for someone to have a government job. And so I, found, I said, Lord, I don't know how to choose a, an attorney. And God said to me, the ones that will come and spend time with you sit with you and sup with you, those are the right ones. Because everybody else was going to send me a form for me to fill out and send back. But in a few days, this organization reached out to me and said, listen, Jeremy Dice said, I will fly to, we will fly to California, sit with you, take you to dinner, and we will set up for you. To, and I knew immediately that that's who I was supposed to go with. Let me show you a little bit about them. This is the First Liberty is the name of the, of the, of the, um, the legal firm that does this. They're pro, they do it pro bono. Kelly Shackelford, I've met him many times. He's the guy who runs it. They, they do a lot of big cases in the United States. These were my two attorneys. This is um, Roger Byron and Jeremy Dice. They did a phenomenal job. And the psalm that came to me as we started the process was Psalm 35 and verse 1 and 2. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. For without cause, they have hid their, for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Then he says this. I love this, David says. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice in my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. He says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Let me tell you something. I started to pray. Interesting things happen. I don't have time to get into all of them, but I had to go. Many times they'd bring me on TV, especially in Atlanta, and every time the whole thing would flare up again. 
I came back from, 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 from Guam, and I wish I could tell you the story how God got me the perfect job in the safest part of California in a place called Bakersfield. And God got me a job working up there, and the attorneys came to me and said, um, we want now to, to, um, to bring the case against the state of Georgia. We actually had to ask the U.S. government for permission to sue the state of Georgia. Now, isn't that crazy? You've got to ask the government for permission to sue the government. Sounds a little tricky, right? But they gave us permission, and this is under the Obama administration, they gave us permission uh, to sue. Now, here's where it gets interesting. When I met with my lawyers again in Bakersfield, and they told me what we were going to do, I said, you know what? I have a good job now. I'm settled. I'm not sure I want to go through this again. And they said, you've got to understand, you are fighting for the religious freedom of many people in this country, because in many of the denominations, you're at Venice Church, your pastors are paid, and they get uh, benefits. He said, many of the other denominations, the pastors are bivocational. He said, you are a bivocational pastor. If you allow them to shut you down and fire you, based on what you believe, every other pastor in America who is bivocational, meaning they pastor on the weekend, but work a regular job during the week, their jobs will all be in jeopardy. And when I went to answer them to tell them, I'm not sure I want to do it, here's what came out of my mouth. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we went to battle. In fact, before long, I was on television. Let me show you a clip of that. I was on television. This is me on Fox News with um, one of the attorneys, Jeremy Dice. This is Fox and Friends. And you can see I wasn't really happy to be there, but I was there. Um, and they had to ask, they asked me all of these questions. They brought, eventually I was even taken to the, um, to the state house in Georgia, right around the corner from the governor's house and the attorney general's house. And I remember standing there having to give a speech in Georgia on why religious freedom is important, something dear to us as Adventists, right? Religious liberty. I had to give a speech there on it. And when I, and I remember when I stood there to give the speech, there were 40 people from all the different denominations and all the Christian institutions in the state, except our own, which it was my fault. I should have invited some of my friends. Nobody behind me uh, all through this thing. But now there were 40 people. And I look back and I almost wept at the support I received. And God whispered in my ear, you are never alone. When I delivered that speech, the attorney said, that was spot on. And you know why I was able to deliver such a good speech? Because I was raised in a church that values religious freedom. Now, things really got to get heated. Nothing changed right away. In fact, I was very worried that I was not going to get um, through to where I wanted to be. The attorneys told me that the state of Georgia has attorneys and they would, they would drag this thing out forever. And something interesting happened. Have you guys heard of a man named Donald Trump? Something interesting happened. Donald Trump was running for president in 2016 and he was backed a lot by the evangelicals. When Donald Trump saw those clips of me on Fox News, when Donald Trump heard of what I was going through, Donald Trump opened his mouth and Donald Trump said, do you see what they're doing to Dr. Eric Walsh in Georgia? It's a shame. You know how he talks. It's a terrible thing they're doing to him down there in Georgia. That's all he said. And then all of a sudden, he started to climb in the polls. And Georgia, being a Republican state, started to realize that the next president of the United States is not the most stable human being. Just a fact. 
And if he wins the presidency and he sides with this young man, we could be in big trouble. This is a, I, don't, I won't play the video, but this is a clip of his, one of his, um, one of Trump's ad, top advisors talking about me and defending me on CNN in the United States. But I, we don't, I, I won't be able to play the clip here. I'll jump to the end of the story because we don't have much time. After all of that time on TV, after Trump said what he said, it was late in 2016, I believe, and I was having my devotion one morning in Bakersfield by my bedside, and I said to God, Lord, what's taking so long? I can't do this anymore. I can't have the weight of this trial over my head. I want it to be over. And while I said that, my phone vibrated on the, on the, on the, on the, um, on the um, um, nightstand, and when I was done praying, I took it, and it was Roger Byron, one of my um, attorneys. He said, Dr. Walsh, I have news for you. The state of Georgia wants to go to mediation. And I knew what that meant. I said, what does that mean? He said, they may want to settle. He said, I can't promise you anything, but they may want to settle. I said, Roger, I was just praying for God to deliver me out of this mess. He said, if you were praying now, God answered your prayer yesterday. He said, they called me yesterday, but I didn't want to call you because of the time zone difference. And God whispered in my ear. He said, before you call, I will answer. Let me tell you what happened. I'm going to go quick now. Within a few weeks, we were back in Atlanta with this um, mediator. And the guy shook my hand, and he's so friendly. They sat me in a room with my attorneys, and we prayed. I was so happy we were able to pray. Having Christian lawyers helps. I don't know why the Seventh-day Adventist Church doesn't have a law school, because you need Christian lawyers too. And so I was sitting there, and, 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 and we prayed. And the mediator came and gave and said, listen, the way we're going to do this is we're going to pass a piece of paper back and forth. They're going to make an offer to settle the case you have filed against the state of Georgia. And so he said, but first got to go into this room. So we went into this room with a big, long table. And, and when I walk in the room, now I can say this in Jamaica, I was the only black person in the building. I'll say it that way. And when I walked into the room, they start saying, Dr. Walsh, nice to meet you. Everybody's shaking my hand. I said, what, is this some kind of a trap? Why is everybody being so nice? Right? And so I shake everybody's hand. I sit down. They say, Dr. Walsh, is there anything you want to say in defense of yourself? I said, all this time, God has said um, for me not to say nothing. I'm not starting now. Let the lawyers talk. And when the lawyers started talking, they started defending me, and the people started saying what they said. We went back and forth. They really had nothing to say to the state of Georgia. We went back to our room, and they sent the first piece of paper, and there was six figures worth of money on the paper. The attorneys high-fived each other. You remember I told you about the, 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 the voicemail yesterday where they were mocking me and laughing at me? That was the first time they high-fived. The attorneys high-fived when I played that for them, and I thought that was mean. I said, why are you high-fiving? They said, every time we take a case, God gives us a piece of evidence that shows us that we are going to win the case in the end. What they meant for mockery became evidence that God was going to deliver me. And here was the culmination of that. So they went back and forth. But by the time it was over, the amount of money on the paper had doubled. My attorney said, Dr. Walsh, it's over. They came to settle today. That's it. And, and then the moderator said, this is their, mediator said, this is their final offer. Dr. Walsh, is there anything else you want? I didn't think I was going to get that kind of money. So I said, you know what? I'm fine. 
It's all good. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready for it to be over. And one of my attorneys said, no, we want an apology. I said, that's right, I want an apology. The mediator ran back to the other side and, and told him I want an apology. And he came back over to us. He came back, he said, Dr. Walsh, they've told us they will not give you an apology, but instead they will give you an extra $25,000. I said, they can keep their apology for $25,000. I'm from the hood, $25,000 is a lot of money. And you know what's interesting? One of the state senators that met me at the state capitol and told me he loved my sermons, how deep it is, he's not Adventist, he, the next day, went on the floor of the Georgia Assembly in front of the entire Georgia government, and you know what he did? He apologized on behalf of the state of Georgia to me. So I got the apology and $25,000. Somebody ought to say amen. Let me tell you something. The Bible says this. Psalm 31, Psalm 116, 6 and 7 says, The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with thee. I'm going to finish the story with the best part of the story. I, there's so much more to give y'all, but we're not, I don't think we're going to have time to get to all of it. Let me see if I flick through to some of it. One of the things that happened when I was in, Ga, in Guam is that... Um, a young lady reached out to support me because this was very national news, especially in the United States. Began to send me devotionals, and we began to form a friendship. The funny thing is, um, she sent me some pictures, and I wasn't really all that interested in, based on the pictures. I said, no, this is all right. I was dealing with so much anyway. So we just remained friends, praying for each other, devotionals going back and forth. And it wasn't until a few years later basically, you know, around the time this was all wrapping up, that I finally flew to Connecticut to meet this young lady. And when I saw her, I said, what a beautiful woman. How did I think she wasn't attractive all this time? But you know what God did? He shielded me from worrying about what she looked like so I could focus on who she is in Christ. And I want to submit to you that my reward in this great trial was not the settlement. It was with the fact that God gave me a beautiful wife. Let me tell you something, young people. You're going to go through some trials. But if you're willing to stand strong for God, he will reward you in the final analysis. Last couple slides. Let me read these. God has a purpose in sending trial to his children. He never leads them otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose they are fulfilling. He says, Ellen White says, it is the triumph of the Christian faith that enables its followers to suffer and be strong, to submit and to thus what? And to thus conquer. I'm going to leave you with my favorite Bible verse. Micah 7 verse 8. I actually preached on this for 3 ABN this summer. Micah 7 and verse 8 says this. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I came to tell somebody today that whatever you're going through, God's got you. You think it's all over. But let me tell you, I, there were times in the darkness of my experience, I thought for sure I would never even work again. I have never had better jobs than since this whole thing happened. 
God has magnified and blessed me. But what must happen is that you have to fall on the rock and be broken. You've got to let the humbling work of the Spirit of God do its work. I'm going to close, but before I close, I do want to make this appeal. Maybe there's somebody who's going through something and you want a closer walk with Jesus Christ to help you get through that thing. The theology students are, I think they're positioned in the audience. Raise your hand and we'll give you that form. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. I don't ask the praise team to come up. But if you are looking to get through some trial, you hear the thunder clapping? You hear the storm? With Jesus in the vessel, you can smile at the storm. I want you to understand that what I've brought for you today is one of the keys to being a Christian in times of difficulty. It is to stop looking at the storm as a challenge or as some, some curse that has come upon you. But remember what Revelation 3.19 says. It says, all whom I love, Jesus says, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. If you're going through something, the spirit of prophecy actually says, you will stay in what you're in until you learn the lesson God is teaching you. You want to get out of the rut? You want to get out of the problems? Fall on the rock and be broken. While they sing, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you want to dedicate your life to Him, maybe you need special prayer, just raise your hand. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.